as we were talking through the study and, and what to study, Michael uh, had previously planned that heading into the fall, he was considering doing a, a series in Daniel. And um, he and I chatted a little bit about it, and I thought, man, that would be fantastic to be able to, to do a series in Daniel, and so we kept that for this, this semester. Um, and if you saw the video that went out advertising about it, um, we, we clarified something. When you think about the book of Daniel, um, people immediately think the prophecy, eschatology, the study of end times and future events. Um, they think of Daniel's, uh, you know, um, 70 weeks and, and all of the things that go along with prophecy in the book of Daniel. And Daniel is rich in that, in eschatology and, and prophecy. But for the purposes of our study, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel, a portion of the book of Daniel, and specifically focusing in on Daniel and his friend's conduct as those that believed and trusted in God in the midst of a culture and society um, that was collapsing, um, that was um, anything but honoring to the Lord, uh, in the midst of a culture and society in, in Babylon that was uh, really, really anti-God uh, and really pro-sin, pro those things that God would be against. And so you look at these men and you wonder, how is it that they were able to stand firm? Uh, how was it that they were able to honor God as they found themselves living in that kind of, of culture? Um, and if we're honest uh, and we look at the culture we find ourselves living in today, um, we are not living in a, a culture presently that is embracing or desiring the things of God, right? Uh, we are not finding ourselves rubbing shoulders day to day in a culture with people who desire the things of God or want to uplift the things of God. Um, we certainly aren't living right now in, in a culture and in our nation where um, a reverence for God and for right things uh, is being uh, promoted or being uh, advertised, right? And so um, we find ourselves living in a collapsing culture, uh, uh, morality-wise, uh, values-wise, principles-wise. And so we felt, man, this would be a very relevant time uh, and necessary time uh, to look at what responsibilities should be there for Christian men, men who follow Christ, uh, to be able to honor the Lord and what should we be about. So I want to give you a little bit of warning tonight, okay? Don't expect this will be the case every week. But tonight, as we look at the text and we look at some things, um, you may feel a little bit like, why is he saying that to me right now? Because, and if that's the case, then good. Like, that's, that's I think, what I felt as I'm looking through some of these things. And it's not meant to be like, let me beat everybody up and be harsh. But some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, I think, are realities that we have to come to grips with as men. And, and, and it can be troublesome sometimes when we first get hit with some things. But I want to point some things out tonight that I think will be helpful. And again, to myself first, um, and, and then to all of us. So uh, as we begin, we're flipping things a little bit from what typically is the case. Instead of starting with kind of a message time and doing some discussion, which I think is typical, um, I want to begin just right out the gate by giving you guys a few questions that I want you just to look at at your tables. I'm only going to give you 10 minutes, okay? So it's not going to be long drawn out, so you can't spend a great deal of time on all of them. Um, you may only hit one or two. That's fine. But there's some questions here, and I want to cover these real quick with you. And this is what I want you to discuss at your table. And if there's one particular question that jumps out to you over the other ones and you want to start on number four instead of one, fine. Um, but at your tables, here's what I want you to look at. Number one, what do you see as the number one struggle for Christian men? in the current culture that we find ourselves living in, and why do you think that is? Number two, what are some reasons compromise seems to be so normal 
when it comes to biblical authority and principles in the lives of men. And what I mean by that, just for clarification, we know what God expects, we know what we want or what the world says, and why is it so often what God expects and what our actions show are not the same? Okay, that's what I mean by compromise. Okay, why are, what are some reasons compromise seems to be prevalent? Number three, what do you know of God's expectations of men who call themselves followers of Christ? In other words, if you're a follower of Christ, what do you know God expects of you as a follower of Christ, as a man? Number four, would you consider yourself to be a man that stands firm in his convictions before the Lord or one who tends to compromise those convictions at times? Do you want that to change? What are you willing to do to see that happen? And again, this can be a little bit like step on toes, right, if we're honest. But honestly evaluate as you think about your life. And, and here, men, I want you to think about this. When you're at work with people and surrounded by people who maybe are not followers of Christ or they don't believe as you believe, their principles are different than your principles. If you're involved in any kind of sports leagues or rec leagues or uh, organizations that you serve in or that you're a part of or that you participate in, um, if you're on the golf course with your buddies, if you are uh, at the bar watching a game or having wings or having a drink, whatever it may be, would you consider yourself to be a man that stands firm in his convictions before the Lord or do you tend to be a chameleon where depending on the audience that you're with and the surroundings that you find yourself in, those principles that you would say in church I hold so dearly to, maybe you, you don't so much in those settings. So be honest. What's true of you? And why do you think that is? And do you want that to change? And beyond simply saying I want it to change, what are you willing to do to make that happen? Okay? So these are the questions. Again, you can maybe select one or two. I'm going to give you guys 10 minutes, and then we're going to come back and start uh, getting into the Word tonight. So have at it. 10 minutes. Okay, guys, let me get your input. Um, I don't want to cover all these questions. I just want to give input about a couple of different things. Number one, that first question, what do you see as number one struggle for Christian men in the current culture? Just give me some feedback on that. What do you see as the current kind of number one struggle for men? What are some responses? Yeah. Okay. So stay the course when you really don't see anyone else doing it. Uh, you might feel at times you're the only one. Right? Or you see everybody heading in a particular direction. It's kind of like, am I going the wrong way? Um, so staying the course. Okay, what else? Anger. Anger? Okay. Anger at society, culture, circumstances. Everything that's going on. Okay. So the distractions of, of the culture. Okay. What else? Sex. Just in general. Yeah. Yeah. So sexual purity, sexual temptation, pornography. I mean, we've talked about that in, in this study in the past and how prevalent the struggle with pornography, sex, sexual addiction, sexual temptation is. Uh, that's a huge struggle for men, right? Even Christian men in the midst of the culture we find ourselves in, especially when things are so celebrated, right? Um, what else? Yep. Okay. The drifting of the country from, from Christian belief and ethics maybe would be another way to put that too. Okay. Yeah. 
okay? A lack of, of male leadership, right? And, and examples, leaders, uh, people who are setting the tone, um, there's, there's a lacking of that. I saw a hand over here somewhere. Yes? So parameters even, right, that are put in place on believers within our country, um, which is, is the case for believers around the world, right? And that's, that's something that's there. Yeah. Somebody else had a hand up over here I saw. Peripheral, unless I was wrong, seeing things. Yes, Larry. Sure. So when the believer, who maybe should be the witness, right, is withdrawing to like-minded people instead of actually having influence or impact. Yeah. That's happening. Yes. Okay. Distractions from the world in general. For sure. Yep. There's a lot of opportunity for influence in the lives of our families, children, and as is already mentioned, in our own lives, right? Our own minds, our own eyes as men. Um, so th- these are all, and there's more, uh, but these are all distractions. These are all things that men, Christian men in the current culture we find ourselves living in are struggling with. And, and can I just say, as po- kind of something to put out there, and I know you all, you men know this, uh, what a, a great day it will be when all of that's gone, right? I mean, when we're with the Lord and, and all of those things are past, right? That, that time is coming. So we have hope, right, that that time's coming. And, and so we'll get there. But until that time, here we are. <laughs> here we are, okay? Uh, it's not enough to say, well, that time's coming, so we'll just, you know, ignore it all right now. Well, we're here. We're, we're in it right now. And so that, that should mean something to us. Um, I want to also look at the second question here. What are some reasons compromise seems to be so normal when it comes to biblical authority and principles in the lives of men? Why do you think it is? Because it was mentioned a lack of leadership. It was mentioned the distractions. It was mentioned, you know, the, the acceptance of certain things in society. The culture was so far removed from God. Why do you think compromise seems to be so prevalent right now with Christians, those that follow Christ? What are some reasons? It's the easiest thing to do, right? It is just the easy, there's no fighting, right? You just, whatever, everybody else is going this direction. Someone mentioned here about everybody's going a different direction. You're the only one going the other direction. The easiest thing you're supposed to be like, just go with the flow. Like, just go with what everybody else is doing, right? Um, I think that's huge. It's huge, right? It's just so easy to just do what everybody else is doing, not make any waves, not have any... Con- I mean, it's just the easiest thing. What else did you guys come up with as far as reasons for compromise? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you see the same things happening over and over again, repeated, and it becomes almost like it's the commonplace, quote-unquote, normal thing, right? Normal thing to do. 
Desensitization, yeah. We're desensitized to what at one point in time maybe we had a hypersensitivity to, but now that it's so prevalent and so in our face and so accepted, it becomes something that's just, we're desensitized. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Perversions of the past become the practices of the present. You know, the Bible speaks of that which is evil being called good and that which is good being called evil. Yeah. Okay. Lack of commitment. Plain and simple, right? There's no commitment level there. Um, there's commitment when it's convenient, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. So there's, there's greater and greater restrictions and mandates on the believer from, from standing uh, with, without great cost, I guess would be a way to put it, right? With great cost would be present there. Um, I appreciate you guys sharing these things. And I, we don't have time to cover all the questions, but I wanted to hit those two. And, and primarily because all of the reasons that were given, all of the reasons that were shared tonight... Uh, and more could equally be described of the culture in Babylon that Daniel and his friends found themselves in. And what we're going to see in the book of Daniel is also the great cost it would be to follow after God, to stand firm in their faith for God. Um, We live in a culture and society today where more and more, if we as men of God who want to follow and honor Christ, we're going to have to be ready and willing to count the cost to do that. Um, that's, that's becoming more and more prevalent. And so we want to look at that over the course of the next 11 weeks, this week and the following 10, as we look at Daniel. So let's get into this study. Go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1. And um, there's a lot that could be said about the book of Daniel. And again, um, the, the desire and goal here isn't to do a verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel it's not to break apart all of the, the languages. Daniel was written in both Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, interestingly enough. And it has, uh, like we mentioned before, uh, a lot to do with eschatology and time studies, prophetic things. But it also has a lot to do historically with what happened during the day and age in which Daniel found himself living and the believer in God, uh, Jews found themselves under persecution. They were in Babylonian captivity. Um, Daniel's name, interestingly enough, means God is my judge. And so, um, what a name for a guy whose life demonstrated that he truly believed that, right? That he truly believed ultimately the one he would answer to is, is God, um, and, and that's what mattered most to him. Um, Daniel is the author of the book. Uh, the book is written in the first person from chapter 7, uh, verse 2 on. Jesus actually confirms Daniel's authorship as well in Matthew 24. Um, He's speaking about some prophetic things, and he says the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Um, And so he references even Daniel as the one that was the the author of this book and and some of the prophetic things that Daniel spoke of. Um, So it's a a really unique, interesting, dynamic book, and one that if you've never studied it and even studied through it as far as... um, eschatology and all that's there, it's really one of those ones that's going to make your head hurt if you spend the time doing it. But it's definitely an exciting study um, if you were to study through the book. But as we mentioned before, what we want to do in studying through a number of the chapters in this book is look at the conduct of Daniel and his friends 
that really shows forth how they stood firm in the midst of this collapsing culture around them. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 14, I wanted to begin by giving a little bit of understanding of, of Daniel, but in Ezekiel chapter 14, I want you just to listen to this, because we're going to get to Daniel 1 in a second, but listen to what Ezekiel uh, was saying as the word of the Lord came to him, and I want you to look at where Daniel is, is grouped with what men Daniel's grouped in. And this is going to tell you everything you need to know about Daniel's character, Daniel's reputation, and who Daniel Daniel was. Just listen to this. In Ezekiel 14, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, verse 12, verse 13, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly. This is the Lord saying, when a, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it, and break its supply of bread, and send famine upon it, and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, this is who he mentions, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver, but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. He's going to go on in Ezekiel chapter 14 and again mention Noah, Daniel, and Job as righteous men. And here's what he says in this passage in Ezekiel 14. He's speaking about the land that is sinning against him and that they're disobedient to the Lord. And the Lord speaks about the judgment that he would bring and the judgment that was coming because of the rebellion of his people. And he, and he says, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in those lands and, and their righteousness would deliver them they would not be sufficient to deliver the others in the land because of my judgment that's coming. But here's what stood out to me about this in Ezekiel. These are the, th the two guys that Daniel's name is grouped with. Noah, who was described as righteous and one that feared God and whose he and his family alone in all of the earth before a global flood was spared because of their fearing of God. He was a preacher of righteousness. Noah... Job, who was described in the word of God as a perfect and an upright man, one who fears God and hates evil. There's no one like him in all the earth and Daniel. I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? Like when you look at that, and I don't know if you've ever seen that in Ezekiel, that's the grouping that Daniel's put into. So I share that to say when we look at the book of Daniel, we look at Daniel's conduct. Daniel's conduct, even in the sight of the Lord, as the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel when he's saying, listen, this is what I, the Lord, am saying to you. The word of the Lord came to me and I'm telling you, these three men, these three righteous men, their conduct, their righteousness would allow them to be spared, but not anybody else because of the destruction God was going to bring. And, and I think remarkable company here. So that gives a little background and backdrop of Daniel, okay, the, the man that would be here. So let's look at Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 1. And I just want to start off basically reading verses 1 through, um, 1 through 7. Uh, we'll stop in verse 7. But this is what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So here you are in Judah, God's people in Judah, uh, they are under siege, all right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes to Jerusalem, besieges it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 
So here he is, he's describing these ones that are brought, and, and these would be good-looking, young, without blemish, skillful, wise, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. So people just like Craig Peters, right? So picture Craig, okay, is being brought out of, brought out of, of Jerusalem, okay, and he's under, under siege here. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Let me jump back to verse 5 because I missed the first part. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now, if you've ever heard teaching in the book of Daniel or you've heard stories in the book of Daniel, you've heard of these men. If you've not heard of them, great. You're here, and so you're going to hear about them during the study. So make sure you come back every week because this will be something, I think, exciting and new for you. If you've heard of them before, it should still be exciting and new for you because this is an incredible account of a real-life experience that took place as God intervened in these men's lives, okay? But you have Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in captivity, a Babylonian captivity, taken into captivity, and they were given strict commands and strict requirements, and they were going to be standing before the king, and they're in the midst of this wicked, wicked, uh, you know, community of people that did not fear God, that did not know God, and that we're going to see over the course of Daniel actually promoted an anti-true God, anti-honoring um, of God, anti-what Daniel and his three friends would have stood for and believed in all the way through in this exile that they found themselves in. Uh, the book actually kind of spans the whole Babylonian exile from the years of 605 B.C. to 536 B.C. And so it gives a look at like what's taking place during this time. And, and, and again, all of this in this understanding is that God was allowing this and his judgment was on his people because of their disobedience and lack of repentance. So as we look tonight, I want to point out a number of, of, of things that I think are important for us to get as we move forward. And so first point I want to make tonight is this, and we see this from the book of Daniel, and we're going to see this over the course of the next 11 weeks. Obedience invites the blessing of God, and disobedience invites judgment from God. Okay, I think it's important for us to understand this. Obedience invites the blessing of God, and disobedience invites judgment from God. Proverbs 14.34, it's a very familiar verse that people quote and you hear quite a bit. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Obedience invites the blessing of God and disobedience invites judgment from God. It would be unloving and unjust of a righteous, holy God to reward disobedience by his children with blessing. Okay, let me say that again because I think this is important. It's, it's logical that we understand this, but sometimes we don't, we don't like to process this. It would be unloving and unjust of a holy, righteous, just God to reward disobedience by his children with blessing. Okay, that is not who God is. That is not God's character. Okay? Um, it's the love of God which invites correction. The word of God tells us the one the Lord loves he corrects. So it is the love of God that invites correction. It's the holiness and justice of God that invites judgment on the evildoer. 
okay? It's the holiness and justice of God that invites judgment on the evildoer. So here's why this is important, and it's important for us to understand this as men here in this room that would call ourselves, the majority that are here would call ourselves followers of Christ. We would call ourselves those that want to obey and honor God. Um, We have to understand that obedience invites blessing and disobedience invites judgment from God. Those that do not know God, there should be zero expectation of obedience to God. Okay? That's the responsibility you and I have as believers in Christ to obey. That has to begin with us. Uh, A disdain for sin, a removing from ourselves of sin, a refusal to compromise, a refusal to, to bow the knee to cultural things that are contrary to God must begin with the church of God. It must begin with men of God. Because if men of God, if the church of God, if those that call themselves followers of Christ are not being obedient, if they're not being uncompromising, if they're not standing firm, no one is going to. And we're going to see in Daniel and his three friends' lives that this is something that would be prevalent for them no matter the cost. Now, I want to point out in the passage where it says that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. It says in verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So God is bringing judgment on the land. He's bringing judgment on his people because of their disobedience, their lack of repentance. He warned them about this, and they would not respond. And so judgment is coming. And so this idea and this understanding of God's blessing that is a reward for obedience. This was the the covenant he had with the nation of Israel, right? Was obedience would bring blessing. And yet here they were being disobedient, unrepentant, and the the judgment of God was coming. And I want to clarify something. This is not a health and wealth preaching of gospel that if you just obey God, all your wildest dreams are going to come true. That's That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we're obeying God, that really hardship will come. Persecution will come. You will be hated for my name, Jesus said. A servant is not above his master, right? If they hated me, they will hate you. But in the midst of that, I think we all understand this. If you're a believer in Christ and you've you've lived for Jesus, you understand what it means to be blessed of God even when maybe the material doesn't seem like it's blessed. But there's no expectation of blessing when there's disobedience present. Um, I think about it when I was in high school and I played baseball. If we had base running errors in a baseball game, uh, that even if it didn't cost us the game, but if it was like a base running error where, you know, someone didn't tag up, you know, they, they ran on a fly ball and they got thrown out going back to the bag because they didn't wait to see if it was going to be catch. Or if there was a pass ball and you didn't advance to the next base, um, because you weren't hustling, and the coach saw it. We would go to practice after the game the next day, and he would get everybody down there on the sideline. He'd go, all right. He's like, I don't know if you guys knew, but we had X amount of base running air, so you know what we're going to do? We're going to run bases for the next, like, hour. And everybody would complain, and we were mad. But guess what? Next game, guess what everybody was focused on? Running those bases right, because we knew we were going to have to run again. Now, listen, I'm not built to run, okay? I'm not a runner, and so when I would hear that, I'd just be like, my, my day was ruined. <laughs> like when we had to run bases. But that was not only something in my mind, but guess what else happened when we were on that field? People would be telling each other, you better pay attention and run those bases right. 
because we knew it was coming, right? We knew it was coming. Well, I think it's time as believers in Christ that we really wrap our, our minds around and open our eyes to the reality of what is coming. What is coming when a nation accepts and embraces the things that are contrary to God? What is coming when the church in many ways is silent in the face of rampant sin and unrighteousness that is being embraced in a culture we find ourselves living in? And, and we shouldn't have an expectation that everything's just going to be rosy because God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Number two, nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. Um, let's be honest for a minute. We look at the current culture we find ourselves living in and the things that are being embraced and things that are happening. Does the thought ever cross your mind when you're looking at this like, Lord, what, what are you doing right now? If you look at what's going on overseas in Afghanistan right now, brothers and sisters there that are being beheaded and being brutally just... Um, just completely persecuted in brutal ways and you think man like does the Lord see this right he sees this he knows this is happening he could intervene if he wanted to do you ever find yourself looking at where we're at in the culture and thinking like Lord you you seeing this you know what's going on like what are you doing right now if you never think that it might be because you're not paying attention but in the midst of this, I want you to notice, and I already read it, but I want you to notice in verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave. That's sometimes hard to swallow, isn't it? Isn't that sometimes hard to come to grips with that when we see the things happening and we see things going on, in the midst of all that's going on, nothing is happening outside of the sovereign hand of God. Later on in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. He, speaking of God, changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He deposes kings and raises up others. Proverbs talks about the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wills. He is the one who sets up rulers and kings, and he is the one who takes them down. Um, you ever found yourself in a situation where you have a leader maybe over you that you're like, what's going on there? And yet, in the midst of that, nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. I can't fully explain that, but that should stir within us faith, confidence, and assurance that our God is in control. Number three... God's purposes in stature do not change as culture changes. God's purposes in stature do not change as culture changes. God remains God. He remains sovereignly in control. He remains the holy, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. Even in the midst of a culture that would think, man... How could God possibly still be in control? He is. His control, his purposes in stature do not change as culture changes. Malachi 3.6, the prophet Malachi records for us that the Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change. 
Do you realize that that statement, I do not change, cannot be said of, of anyone apart from our, or the triune God whom we worship and serve? You change. I change. person sitting next to you changes. People that we know change. People that we trust in change. People that we've relied on change. People who have always been faithful and always been right, they change. I was sharing earlier with the table, I, I had installed some flooring this past weekend and spent a lot of hours tearing out old flooring and linoleum and putting in new flooring and stuff that went with that and put in some new cabinets that I was doing. And after like the two to three days that I was doing that, I woke up in the morning and I was like sore. And I told my wife, I'm like, what is going on? Like I never used to get sore after doing like home improvement projects or things like that. And some of you are like, you're getting old, I know. And, and it was one of those things where like I was like, that's a, that's a different thing. I'm not used to that. Why? Because my body changes, my age changes, my abilities change, so do yours. We get that. We all get that as time goes on, ultimately as time goes on, and we grow older, that with that comes a growing of not being able to do some of the things that we previously were able to do. Do you realize that is never the case with God? That's never the case with God. In addition to that, no matter how bad culture gets, God is just as good as he's always been. He doesn't change. And there's assurance in that. There's confidence that can be found in that. That God's purposes and statutes do not change as culture changes because the Lord does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. The same God that, that we celebrate, believe in, have faith, have confidence in when Christ is resurrected from the dead is the same God that we have faith, confidence, hope, and rejoice in when it looks like culture has embraced the doctrines of demons and hell. God is the same. He can be still trusted, and he should still be served, and he should still require the same faith that we've always been giving to him. Number four, as men who know and follow God, we have responsibilities to uphold. As men who know and follow God, we have responsibilities to uphold. And this is where I want to camp out for just a couple minutes. And this is where I don't, my meaning in doing this is not to step on toes too harshly. Kind of to step on toes, just not too harshly. But as men who know and follow God, we have responsibilities to uphold. Now let me pause for just a minute. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you don't even know what a relationship with Christ is fully about, uh, at the end of our, our time today, I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you would like to know how you can have a relationship with Christ and you can know God and you can be a child of God, I'm gonna give you an opportunity before we leave today to, to be able to see someone about how that can happen in your life, because it can. That Christ died for our sins as a sacrifice for our sins. We wanna share that with you tonight if you don't have a relationship with Christ. So if that's you, stay with us until the end here. But for those of you that are here as men that would say, I'm a follower of Christ. I call myself a Christian. I call myself a believer in Christ. As men who know and follow God, we have responsibilities to uphold. And here's where we want to go tonight. Number one, we have responsibilities to uphold. Number one, we have a responsibility to lead by example. Men, every one of you, as a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, if you know him, 
you have a specific God-given responsibility to lead by example. Every one of you, myself included, we have a responsibility. So let me ask this question. What kind of example are you leaving and what kind of leader are you being? If people followed you around at work today, wherever you went today, what kind of leader by example were you today in the current culture we find ourselves living in? You and I have a responsibility to lead by example. When you read Daniel chapter 1, the passage you already read, this speaks of these four men by name. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These would be men who in the midst of a culture where to someone's point that said everybody's going a particular direction, everybody in that culture was going in a particular direction and they did not. We're going to look in this study about a decree that King Nebuchadnezzar would give. A brand new decree, something that was never given before. For everybody in the land, when they hear the sound of different instruments, to bow down and worship a golden image that he would set up as God. And my Bible tells me that when he would do that, everybody listened. Everybody embraced and listened to this new demand without any thought except for these men. Everybody was going in one direction and they were going in a different. It is the responsibility of every believer in Christ as men who know and follow God that we would lead by example. Here's what's interesting to me. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy's a young pastor. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul calls on Timothy, even as a young pastor, to set the example, to set the tone, to be the example, even though he was young. Even though he would have an excuse, if you will, to not do that. He was young. How's he supposed to do it? He's young. He says, don't let anybody look down on you be young, but you set the example. You set the tone. You be the one that they can look at and they can follow. Do you realize as followers of Jesus Christ, every one of us have a responsibility to proclaim Christ, to lead by example, and we're all in some capacity leading someone by setting some kind of example. All of us are. We, we don't have to admit it, but it's, it's reality. If you're married, you're in some way, shape, or fashion leading or setting an example for your wife. If you have children, you are in some way, shape, or form setting and leading by example your children. It may be an awful example. It may be awful leadership, but you're setting it. If you are a worker for your employer, you are in some way, shape, or form or capacity setting and leaving and leading an example to people that are watching you in some capacity, man. In some capacity, that's happening. We're all doing it in some capacity, but what does it look like for us? We're going to talk about how we can stand firm over the next 10 weeks coming up and setting and leading an example that would be honoring to God in the midst of a culture that's collapsing. We have a responsibility as men of God to evangelize the lost. You may be here today and be like, well, I'm not an evangelist. Yes, you are. I don't have that ability. Yes, you do. I don't know enough. Yes, you do. 
You are an evangelist. You might not have the gift of evangelism, but you are to be an evangelist. You are to go and tell. I'm to go and tell. Listen, it is not an acceptable excuse as a believer in Christ to say, I'm not gifted with evangelism, so I don't got to tell people about Jesus. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. You have a responsibility and calling by God, as I do, to evangelize the lost. In Peter, 1 Peter 3.15, he says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Previous point, set an example, lead by example. When you're leading by an example and you're following Christ, guess what's going to happen? Questions. People are going to start asking about the hope within you. And you know what your direct responsibility is? I don't care how young, how old, how knowledgeable or unknowledgeable, how gifted or not gifted in evangelism you are. You know what your responsibility is? To always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect. When was the last time we've processed as men who love and honor Christ, I have a direct responsibility to evangelize the lost? Is that always easy? Absolutely not. Will it be costly? It's going to get much more costly in the culture and where we find ourselves in. Believers around the world, this is nothing new for them in other parts of the world where literally they know standing for Christ could mean their life. They know opening their mouth to share the gospel of Jesus Christ could cost them their life. Their livelihood, yes. Their jobs, yes. Their families, yep. Their lives, yes. But how could they keep silent is what so many of them say because of what Christ has done. Isn't it time for the believer in Jesus Christ in America to start sharing their faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost? What are we waiting for? Number three, it's the responsibility as those men who know God to stand firm without compromise. Guys, listen, it's a responsibility we have to stand firm without compromise on the things of God. Ephesians 4, 11 to 15, where Paul speaks about the work that has been done. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ It is far past time as believers in Jesus Christ that we are no longer children tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine that comes. It's our responsibility as men who want to love, honor, and follow Christ and lead others to Christ to stand firm without compromise in a culture of compromise. It's the responsibility we have as men who love and honor Jesus Christ to stand firm without compromise, no matter the cost. So do people actually do that? 
brothers and sisters around the world have been doing that. That's their life. That's their life. But is it ours? What do we count as more dear to ourselves than making Christ known? What do we count as more dear to ourselves than magnifying Christ? Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. I love Paul's words to those that loved him and cared for him. He was speaking as he was going to be going before uh, Caesar. And he said, I am prepared not only to impart the gospel. I'm not only prepared to give testimony to God. I'm, I'm prepared to give up my very life for Christ and for the cause of the gospel. That is so foreign to us, isn't it? We've, we've never, for the most part, had to do something that is going to be very costly if it means to share the gospel. It's, 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 not, been co- it's, it's not costly in comparison to what has been endured on the part of the believer for someone just not to like us if we share Jesus. It's not costly in comparison for someone just to speak bad about us because we don't follow Jesus. One of my daughters contacted me this evening while we were all here. And she was really bothered. And she, she called me and I, and I said, honey, what's going on? I'm at the study. She said, oh, I can talk later. And I can tell she was upset about something. I said, no. I said, tell me what you need. I was like, I have time. Tell me. And she said, well, there was a girl at school that said that she was spreading rumors about another girl. And I have all girls, by the way, men. And so pray as, as I deal with these things. She's like, but she told this girl that I said something unkind and and all this other stuff. And, and I said, well, I said, listen, honey. I said, did you say it? She said, no. I said, well, you know you didn't say it. God knows you didn't say it. So tell the girl you didn't say it. You can't make her believe you. And then just trust the Lord. And people know who you are. And what you have shown yourself to be, people know. And it will be okay. It will be okay. I wonder, don't we get all just wrapped up, nervous, tension-filled and everything else when it comes to things that are outside of our control instead of saying, I can trust the Lord with this. Our advice to our kids would be one thing. How about our advice to ourselves? How about our advice to ourselves? We have a responsibility as men to stand firm. We know the truth and we should stand firm without compromise. Now, here's the last one, and I think this is important under this point. I have one more point after this, so bear with me. But we have a responsibility as men who love and honor God to be proactive against complacency. We have a responsibility as men who know and love Christ to be proactive against complacency. It is not enough for you and I as men who love and follow Jesus to see a culture embracing things that are completely contrary to the things of God and to just sit passively by and accept it. As men who love and follow Jesus Christ, we need to be standing proactively on the things of God's word, on the principles of God's word, and on what God has given us instruction to do. If we're honest... And we look at the church, particularly in America, the church is very guilty in America of being so lazy and complacent when it comes to things of God in America. And guys, honestly, just with some of the responses tonight that we all give about why we don't stand firm, 
aren't they lame excuses? And I'm not picking on anybody in particular because I give the same excuses. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on you. But think about the reasons that we gave tonight of why we do not stand firm in our commitment to Jesus Christ. Because other people aren't. Culture isn't. It's hard. It might cost us something. I don't feel comfortable doing it. There's too many distractions. There's so many things vying for my attention. That's a problem. That's a problem. That can't be our excuse. None of those things are worthy excuses for us as a follower of Christ. And again, I'm not just telling you, I'm telling myself, these are not valid excuses for me. They're not valid excuses for you. They certainly weren't valid excuses for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who would find themselves in lion's dens and fiery furnaces. I don't know when the last time you were threatened to be thrown into a den of lions because you were uncompromising in your faith or you were at work and your boss was like, if you speak up one more time about Jesus, that furnace over there that's melting all that steel, you're going in it. Probably not. But we compromise. Isn't it time that we stop that? That we're proactive against complacency. James 4, 17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let that sink in for a second. If we know the good that we are called to do and we don't do it, it's not just a missed opportunity. It's not just maybe next time, slugger. It's sin. So I feel as a follower of Christ, There's a lot of guilt for us to feel, isn't there? But oh, how that magnifies, again, the grace and forgiveness of our gracious God. Who in spite of our failures and our shortcomings and our falling short, has redeemed us and called us to be his servants. So here's the amazing thing. Try again tomorrow. His mercies are new tomorrow morning. And his faithfulness is great. But it's time that we're about the work of God and not about ourselves, isn't it? I think it's time for that. And then number five here, sometimes God is most glorified through deliverance, but there are some times that God is most glorified through judgment. We see this not only in the Old Testament scriptures, but ultimately in the judgment that is to come. Sometimes God is most glorified As he brings judgment, judgment day is coming. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming, it's coming. One day everyone, small and great, rich and poor, the haves and the have-nots will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account before him. The word of God tells us in the book of Revelation, anyone's name not found in the Lamb's book of life is going to be cast into the lake of fire that's been prepared for the devil and his demons. That day is coming. Until that day comes, we have time to be proactive in sharing the truth of the gospel, to 
to stand firm in the midst of a collapsing culture for the glory of God, to make Christ known and to serve him well. Are you up for that challenge, men? I hope you are. I hope these next 10 weeks that come will be weeks that will be informative to give you tools, insights on how Daniel and his three friends could do just that in the midst of a wicked and a wicked hating God society. And yet they stood firm. Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at as men being clear, being resolute, being ready, being vulnerable, being separate, being realistic, being confident, being truthful, being humble, being holy, and being faith-filled as we stand firm in our relationship with Christ in a collapsing culture. I hope you'll commit to being here every week. It's been beneficial for me as I've prepared this, and I know it will be beneficial for you if you come and you're desiring of God to show you how you can stand firm. That's our desire. I think it's going to be very helpful. So bring someone with you. Uh, We have a number of different guys uh, that will be teaching guys on staff, uh, pastors here at Maranatha, as well as some guys that um, have taught in the past at the men's study. Uh, I think you're going to be really blessed by the different guys that are going to be presenting and opening God's word. Uh, and I encourage you to be a part of that. Again, we'll have dinner every night. Uh, dinner will be provided, and uh, there's no reason not to come, so make sure you're with us. I hope this is going to be very beneficial. I think it will be. Um, listen, I, I had said earlier that if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you don't know Christ as your Savior or you're not sure about that, uh, this study is not going to be real meaningful to you if you don't have a relationship with Christ. You need to know him. You need to know him. You can have a relationship with him tonight. If you would sit there and say, you know what, I know I'm a sinner in the fact that I'm not perfect. I am not holy like God is. I know I fall short of a holy God, but I need forgiveness. And tonight I want to learn about that. Here's what I'm asking you to do. First, guys, I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes. You don't need to look around for this. But if you're here and that's you, uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is just slip back to Mike Duma. He's in the back back there. And if you just want to walk out that way, he's going to talk with you, anybody that wants to talk about how you can know you have a relationship with Christ tonight authentically, how you can know your sins are forgiven and you can have a relationship with him. So if that's you, go ahead and slip out now. I don't want anybody to be missed that wants to do that. I would feel like we are just, we're breezing past that if, if there's someone here that that's not, you know, you don't know you know Christ. So I want to make sure I give that opportunity. Anybody? Last call, if that's something that you need to do. Anybody else? All right, guys, let me pray for you. I want to pray for a gentleman who was meeting with Mike as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Um, God, it's, it's humbling as a man who has been forgiven of so much to at times be unwilling to offer that much in service to you. And so, Lord, my prayer is that uh, your spirit tonight would convict us as men of the areas that we know we fall short in. God, I pray that if as men 
we've been guilty of compromising our faith and, and standing firm in our beliefs in you because of the pressures of the culture or our workplace or our families or our friends or the environment we find ourselves in, that we would put an end to that even tonight. God, that we would stop with complacency and we would be stirred to faithfulness, that we would take seriously the responsibility we have and calling we have as men of God to lead by example, to evangelize the lost, to be your witnesses, God to abhor, hate, sin, and evil. Lord, that we be faithful in making you known, that we would stand firm. Pray for this man that's meeting with Mike. Lord, I pray even right now your spirit would open his eyes to the truth of the gospel, God, that you would transform his heart and mind, that he might call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. We thank you that you have redeemed us through Christ. And so help us to live for your glory, whatever the cost may be. We pray in Christ's name, amen.